The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord what, that, what had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you, you wicked slave, I forgave you and all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Another week, another case of an unarmed black man killed by a police officer. Another verdict, not guilty. Anthony Lamar Smith, may he rest in peace despite the fact that we still have no justice. How long, O oh Lord, must we wait until all have equal protection? How long until those in power are not given the blessing of the state to hurt, oppress, or even kill? And how long until our complicity in this system of injustice is over? In electionary week where forgiveness is in the spotlight, I think we need to be clear about one thing in light of this most recent state-sanctioned execution. The acquittal of St. Louis police officer Jason Stockley is not an example of Jesus' limitless forgiveness, but just another example of a quick and cheap pardon of a person with power and privilege. And it's important to be clear about the difference between forgiveness and pardon. Pardon is, in most cases, given by the state or the powers that be. Think President Trump's most recent pardon of Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio. On the one hand, pardon like that can be merciful for that individual. But on the other hand, because of the top-down direction of that mercy that is being offered, 
It robs those at the bottom of their agency in the situation. And because power is taken away from the victimized community, pardon is rarely, if ever, restorative to the whole community. And that's where the difference lies in forgiveness. With forgiveness, the power lies in the hands of the hurt, the wrong, the victim. It requires those with power, the oppressors, to humble themselves. It's an inversion of power, where the marginalized victims are the ones who direct the, con- the conditions of forgiveness and reconciliation. When I was in seminary, I took a class called Ministry to the Incarcerated and Their Families. And it was in this class that I was first introduced to the concept of restorative justice. And this is an approach to justice that personalizes the crime, having the victims and the offenders mediate a restitution to the satisfaction of each party and involves the community as well. And this stands in stark contrast of the more punitive approach customarily taken by our current criminal injustice system, where the main aim is retributive justice or to satisfy some abstract legal principle. And if we're being really honest, in many courtrooms these days, the victims and the offenders give up their agency, leaving justice to be decided by legal counsel and the state, where the plaintiff and the defendant are instructed to remain silent. And in this system where we give up our power for silence, where we are incentivized to deny responsibility for easier punishments, or where we are forced into false confessions for less harsh sentences, should we decide to stand up for the truth, it's in this system that justice is most certainly not being served, and restoration of the community is being sacrificed. One of the most powerful stories that I heard of restorative justice and the impact that victim-offender reconciliation can have, it came out of Denver, Colorado. Charlita Evans had a direct conversation with Raymond Johnson, the man who had killed her three-year-old son, Kason, also known as Biscuit, who was in a drive-by shooting in 1995. And it wasn't until 17 years later that the conversation between Charletta and Raymond was even possible. But when Charletta was finally ready to take that next step in the process of forgiveness, the life-giving effects of a victim-offender reconciliation process were clearly evident. And they were most evident in the end of their first conversation. At the end of that conversation, she and Raymond rose from opposite sides of the table, and they approached one another. He extended his arms, and she asked him to turn his palms facing up so she could say a prayer for his hands. She clutched his hands, and this is the prayer she said. She said, I prayed that they would cause no more harm, that they would be hands of comfort, that they would bring help and serve people, And that they would no longer be hands of destruction, but hands that bring life. That is the restorative power of forgiveness. But forgiveness 
that is not simply a quick decision made once and for all, but a process of forgiveness that requires time and patience. It took years and years to even get to the point that a conversation between Charletta and Raymond was possible. But once that conversation occurred, it opened up the possibility of an ongoing relationship that both Charletta and Raymond both resolved to continue. Limitless forgiveness, like Jesus attests to today in Matthew, it is hard forgiveness. We're talking Joseph forgiving his brothers after they left him for dead type of forgiveness. And that forgiveness becomes even more difficult and complicated when we consider some of the insidious types of harm that do require forgiveness but are hard to figure out, like racism. What does a process of forgiveness for racism even look like when the racism that surrounds us has not lessened over the years, but has simply continued to adapt into new forms from slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration. Or consider another scenario where each side looking for forgiveness believes they are the righteous ones, where they believe they are the ones following God's will. Who is the one to be forgiven in a scenario like that? Think the Catholics and the Lutherans. 500 years ago, the Reformation occurred, and we are about to celebrate and observe that 500th anniversary this year. But we must admit that after 500 years of division and pain, it's hard to sort out where forgiveness must be given. And who will come back to that table is determined based on how we are able to figure out that process of forgiveness. These processes can be long, and they can be tedious, and it can be easy for us to lose patience like Peter did, wanting to know the number of times we must grant forgiveness before we can write someone off. But when we reach that point and we ask just how far our forgiveness must expand, Jesus reminds us of the deep grace that God offers that deep grace and forgiveness is that which we are infused with in our baptism. And today we baptize baby Thomas. And in this public sign, Thomas was made one with Christ's death and resurrection. And therefore he also was infused with Christ's forgiveness and grace. But there was another huge part of that baptism that we can't overlook. And that's the communal nature of that baptism. We all were involved with it, making promises to Thomas. And among those promises was the promise to be a community so infused with God's limitless forgiveness that Thomas will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is loved and valued no matter what. And that is our hope, that he will know that and he will be able to share that with others. Forgiveness, when done right, it restores a community and it becomes contagious, but it takes time, it takes patience, it takes commitment. It's more than just forgiving and forgetting, but it's a process that binds us together deeper to one another, like the example of Charletta and Raymond. 
But if we go the way of the powerful getting the quick and cheap pardon, we will never see authentic community or genuine peace. Living in God's grace in most cases is not going to be as simple as quantifying or prescribing forgiveness for one another. And that means living in God's limitless grace means we need to have forgiveness for ourselves as well. It's a personal forgiveness that we can experience too. Because in most cases, there are things that we have been forgiven for already, but we might continue to beat ourselves up over thinking that our sins are somehow bigger or different or less forgivable than others. But have trust in the words of the psalmist when they say, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love for us. And as far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our transgressions from us. Live in God's limitless forgiveness. Be infused with that forgiveness. Trust that forgiveness. Share that forgiveness.